You, you know, people, people have asked me about my life and they go, you know, it's, isn't there a lot of pressure on you when you get up in these weird crowds that you don't know when you speak to them? Or isn't there a pressure in, in just even Sunday mornings and knowing that everything you're saying is recorded and can be used against you and, you know, and every, everyone around the world is going to critique this thing? And, and I go, I don't know. I don't, I don't think about that a whole lot. Um, there's a lot more pressure being a dad. You know, like with everything that I know some of you guys throughout the week you do and it's looked at as, wow, you have to do that during the week. You have those responsibilities, but really doesn't compare to being a dad and the difficulties of that and the pressure of that and the, um, the frustration in that, the lack of control in that. And, and I was thinking about that for Father's Day and I, I was going to give a message to the dads today and I'm going to put that off. I want to I want to take a couple of weeks and talk about the family this summer um, and get a get a focus and a right perspective and a biblical perspective on those things because it's such a huge issue. Um, and I, I hate to disappoint you this morning um, with not giving a Father's Day uh, message, but there's something pretty pressing that that I not pretty pressing. I I have to say some things this morning. Uh, there's a few times in your life, in my life, I should say, there have been a few times in my life when there's just a message that you know God says, say it, don't be afraid to say it, lay it out. You have to lay it out. People may not like it, but lay it out anyways. Um, are you really a prophet of mine or not? Are you really going to say whatever I ask you to say? And uh, this morning is one of those times. Uh, this morning is something I've been convicted about for the last few weeks. And, um, and I know God's been wanting me to say these things. And so I'm going to say them, and we'll deal with Father's Day things later. Well, you'll still be a dad at the end of the summer. And, um, but first, let me show you a video. Remember last week I showed you some videos from when I was in Brazil and Uganda? I, I want to show you another clip just to re- re- refresh your memory. Here's where I was a couple weeks ago in Uganda. And uh, here's a crowd that I spoke to. You can go ahead and uh, throw the video up there. Okay, so the question is this. We're wondering tonight, and I think I know the answer already because I've been here for a day already. But the question is, is there a generation of students in this city and in this nation who really, truly, in word and in deed, want to live their lives to make Jesus famous in this generation? That's the question. That's who I was speaking to a couple weeks ago. It's a lot like this. Um, But isn't that an amazing sound? Isn't that just the most beautiful sound when you just, okay, you guys want to live for Jesus. You want to make him famous. And and then, you know, just for them to chant the name of Jesus. What a beautiful, beautiful noise. Um, But what if I were to tell you that uh, after that service, over half of them would leave and 
go commit adultery that week. Then what would you think of that sound that they just made? You see, because after, after the meetings, I, I, I was speaking one time and I said something about sin. I said something about immorality and I got these weird looks. I mean, I, it totally blew my mind. Just these looks on their faces and they all started looking down and looking around and I'm going, this is something I talk about every weekend, you know, about sin. And, and so I asked one of the leaders during the break, I'm like, you know, maybe it was just me, but typically I can read a crowd as I'm speaking. And as I was speaking and I talked about sin, I talked about immorality. It just seemed like the complete mood just changed. And, and these looks on their faces like they were just ashamed and, 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 and looked to the ground. And, and, and I said, uh, tell me about that. And, and a couple of the, the, the leaders of the ministries were there and they said, well... That's pretty common out here, that they would worship like crazy on Sunday morning and then go sleep around the rest of the week. And I go, you're, you're kidding me. Like, I mean, it's one thing if you, you come to a service and everyone's dead and then they go and sin, you know, well, no big deal. But there's something about, there's something about the, man, we're going to scream the name of Jesus with our lips and then you're going to go away and deny him by our actions and and i remember just during that 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 time just feeling so heavy like gosh lord this is this is the passion conference this is this excitement you know fire them up have this huge rally and and yet i don't think that's the type of message you want me to give here um and i started talking to several of the students and i said is it true that you'll leave here and get drunk or go sleep around and think nothing of it yeah And it, it really surprised me. In fact, after I, I, I gave a message, it just, I, I mean, it, I, while I was speaking, I said, everyone, no, 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 everyone, look me in the eyes. Is this true about you? And you see his head's nodding. Yeah, that's what we do. And of course, that's not everyone, but when we asked, hey, how many of you would say you're living that double life? About two thirds or three fourths immediately. Just raised their hands. And I started thinking those screams and that worship. Was it a beautiful noise then? Or was it just noise? And in scripture, how many times in the Bible does God address a group of people because they get together and they give this appearance of worship and they honor God with their lips? I mean, you read it, right? It's over and over and over again. God confronts you. See, we like to jump and go, wow, that's so great. That's so great. That's so great. But well... Unless there's the life that backs it up, it's actually worse. There's a sense of self-deception where you think, well, I'm making up for my sin by going to church and worshiping. And maybe throwing some money in the plate or, 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 or maybe, you know, really getting deep in prayer or whatever. I'm kind of making up for what I did during the week. When in reality, you're, you're making things worse. And I was explaining to that group of students, I go, look, you're not bringing glory. You're not, you're not bringing glory to his name. You're not bringing fame to Jesus. I said, you're bringing shame to him. Because you're screaming the name of Jesus, then you're going right back to your dorms and living like the rest of the world. And now they're looking at Christians and going, oh, see, they're no different than I am. You know, they scream Jesus, but his life is just as evil as mine. Her life is just as evil as mine. I I, I want to hit this issue, but first I want to ask a question. Are all sins, listen to the question, are all sins the same in God's eyes? 
There's a mixed response. I see some of this, some of this. Are all sins the same in God's eyes? If it is all the same, if they are all the same, where do you find that in the Bible? Does anyone have a verse? Good, 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 good. If you've sinned in one, you've sinned in all. But let me read the verse. James 2, verse 10. Whoever keeps the whole law yet stumbles at one point is guilty of breaking all of it. So good job. It's James 2.10. That if you break one law, you've broken them all. In other words, no one in this room, like the Bible says, everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? We've all sinned. You break one sin, you broke them all. You're, you're lawbreakers. How many times do you got to break a sin, you know, break a command before you're a lawbreaker? Just once, right? So all sin is the same in the sense that all sin condemns, Right? You sin one time, you're guilty, period. But does that mean that all sin is the same in God's eyes? See, while it's true that all sin condemns, nowhere in the Bible does it say that all sins are the same in God's eyes. In fact, it's the opposite. In fact, the Bible explains, I mean, he has different punishments. If you look in the Old Testament, there were certain sins that were so heinous, so disgusting in his eyes is, well, for this sin, for this sin, and for this sin, you know what? I want you to take them outside of the city gates, and I want you to make a public spectacle of them, and I want you to stone them to death. Because I want the world to see, I want people to see that there are certain sins I hate so much. In fact, he even uses those words as there are certain sins that the Lord hates. And there are different degrees of punishment. And in the New Testament... Um, he explains it as well, that there are different, there are different sins. Um, there is a difference between someone speeding and someone committing murder. Okay, I, I think that's obvious in our own minds, but I think because we've heard this phrase that God views every sin the same, which is not a biblical statement, we start to believe that, oh, big deal, you know what, I sped, you speed on the freeway, you know, I cheat on my wife. And it's, it's not that simple. That's not the way God views it. Now, does all sin condemn? Absolutely. In that way, yes. We don't want to brag and say, well, I don't do those really bad sins because that's what the Pharisees were doing, right? They're saying, well, I don't commit adultery. And then Jesus says, oh, wait a second, wait a second. Don't get so self-righteous here. You look at a woman lustfully and you're committing adultery. Well, we, I've never committed murder. No, that, that spirit of hatred's in you. It was this self-righteousness that he was attacking. But again, that does not mean that every sin is the same in God's eyes. In fact, the passage we're going to look at is in 1 Corinthians 6, which we looked at a, a few weeks ago, but I, I, I got to throw it out there again. 1 Corinthians 6, it starts off with such a beautiful statement. I mean, this is such a beautiful verse. In verse 15, I'm going to throw it on the screen for you. It says, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Have you ever thought about this? This, is, this, is, this verse is such an honor. Okay, it, it throws out there a, a, a truth that is such an honor. And I don't know if you ever thought about this. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Okay, that means Jesus is saying that in a very real way, my body 
is an extension. Or remember, like, like when he talks about a member, it'd be like this, this finger is a member of Francis Chan's body. Okay? That's quite an honor you have. You know, it's just this idea of, you're a long member. You know, it's this idea of, this idea that, look, you're, you're a member. You're a part of this body. You're part of Francis Chan. And, and, and in the same way, he says, don't you know that now your body is, is a member of Christ himself? Like in a very real way. I'm an extension of Jesus Christ. Think about that. That's why I can take the name Christian. It's not just this metaphorical, weird, oh, some ear. No, he says, no, you, you, your body is an actual member. Like it's connected. I am connected to Jesus Christ. That's an amazing honor. I mean, he's the creator of the universe. This God who sits above the vault of the earth. He's up there and he's saying, Francis, you're, an ex- you're like a part of me. Your body is a member of mine. We are connected. We are one in body. I am one in body with Jesus Christ. That's why when we look at one another in this room, whatever differences we have of each other, there ought to be this mutual respect of Gabriel. You're a member of Jesus. You're part of his body. I'm a part of his body. And there ought to be this unity between us because we are all members of Jesus Christ. You know, sometimes in church, you hear a preacher get up and beg you to follow. Please, please, please. Come on, come on. As though... God would be so honored if you followed him rather than the opposite of what an honor that I can stand here on the stage and say I'm connected to Jesus Christ. I'm a part of his body. When's the last time you thought about what a privilege that was? And you just thank God that you just that he let you that he allows you be a part of his body. Well, having said that, the rest of the verse goes like this. At the end of it, it says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. He goes, may it never be that word never. I don't know how to say it strong enough without swearing. The way it's written in the Greek, it's just this absolute, may it never be made. This never come to pass that now that I am part of Christ's body, that I will actually take a part, a real physical part of Jesus Christ and unite. And the word unite is to cement. It's to come together and you're, you're going to make Jesus then. You're going to force a part of his body into a prostitute. You're going to force a part of Jesus Christ's body into a union that he wants no part of. Here Paul is painting one of the most disgusting pictures he could paint. He was saying, look, you're you're taking the very member of Jesus Christ. It's, It's rape. It really is. That's the picture he's painting. You are forcing the creator, Jesus Christ himself, into a union. He goes, I would never do that. That is so repulsive, so disgusting. To unite him with a prostitute. Verse 16. Do you not know... That he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body. 
For it is written, the two will become one flesh. He goes, don't you get it? Because now that means you're uniting this, this physical act that, that, that we call sex. He says, this is so much deeper in God's eyes. He says, you become one with that person. And because you're one in body with Jesus Christ, now you're forcing Jesus Christ into this union with this whore. Whoever this, this whore is, anyone that you're having sex with outside of marriage, doesn't matter if you're in love or whatever, it's, it's, it's this whorish relationship. And he says, and you're forcing Jesus into that? You see, I can't, um, we can't separate ourselves from Jesus Christ. I know there's times you'd like to, you'd like to leave him behind and go do your thing, but he's saying, no, I'm, we became one. When you, when you got baptized, I came into you. I, you. You joined yourself to me. It's like that marriage ceremony. At your salvation, when you became a believer, we became one. In fact, the next verse, again, another beautiful verse, verse 17. He says, but he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Okay, earlier he has just said that now you're physically, you're one with him in body, you're a member of his body. And now he says, but he who unites himself with the Lord is one with him in spirit. I mean, that's what we talk about, the indwelling of his spirit. I mean, again, what an honor, what an honor. Right now, this body on this stage, I'm an extension of the creator of the universe. I'm a part of his body. Not only that, but he says, my spirit now is inside of you. Not only am I an extension of his body, but the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of this temple right here on this stage. Man, what a rush. What a rush. That's why Paul says, I don't want to boast in anything except for Christ. I mean, what am I going to do in comparison to that? I'm a temple of the Holy Spirit. I'm an extension of His body. I am one in body and spirit with Jesus Christ Himself. What an absolute honor. That's why He says, you know what? And I'm going to unite myself with a whore? Never. Never. This honor I've been given, I need to protect it. Verse 18. So I says, flee, run, flee from sexual immorality. Then look at this next verse. All other sins a man commits are outside his body. But he who sins sexually sins against his own body. So he says, run, run, run from sexual immorality. Flee from it. This isn't, he doesn't say, okay, when you're tempted, just stand there and resist. Just take it. No, it's just this picture. You run. You run. If, there, if, it's, if it's internet porn, then you, you just get rid. Get rid of the internet if you have to. Man, just you run. You run from this stuff because remember, you're an extension of Jesus Christ. And His Spirit's in you. So you run from anything that, that would be sexually deviant. Because the Bible says that we're to keep the marriage bed pure and undefiled. Undefiled. No sin in there. No sexual immorality. He goes, you run from that. He goes, because, you know why? Because all other sins. See, this is what I'm talking about. It's not saying all sins are the same. It's saying this one's different. There's a uniqueness. This isn't like all other sins. All other sins a man commits are outside of his body, but when you sin sexually, you sin against your own body. And, and, and this, it's really interesting, this, this phrase, because, okay, then, then go ahead and go to the next verse. 
Okay, so you sin against your own body. That's singular, his own body. But then next verse, he says, do you not know that your body... Now, this is interesting because earlier his body was singular. Like you sin against your own physical body, which is the temple of the Holy Spirit. But then here he says, do you not know that your... And that word your is plural here. That your, plural, then body, singular... He's talking about the church body now. All of your, now your church body is a singular temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. See, it explains that the sexual sin, it goes really far because one, you're sinning against your own body, which is a temple of the Holy Spirit, and that's different. And you're uniting, there's a uniting that can take place in that sexual realm that can't take place in any other way. And so when you sin, you're sinning against yourself, which is the temple of the Holy Spirit. But not only that, but your body, your plural body, you're sinning against the church. See, it's this picture of the temple that we are supposed to be the bride of Christ. We collectively, we're not individually brides of Christ. It's we collectively form this one bride. And he goes, now it's the sin against the bride in general because you guys are supposed to house the Holy Spirit. You're supposed to give a picture to the world of the bride of Christ. And so when you're sinning, not only are you sinning against yourself, which is an extension of Christ, but also we as a temple, you're sinning against us. I mean, you know how certain people can make Cornerstone look bad? Right? See, when you sin, we've been talking about this community thing because God's explaining that it's not just about you. When someone in this, that's why he says, when someone's in this, in this body and he's sick, we should all grieve with him. Because we're one body. It's just like hurting a toe or whatever else. At the same time, the Bible is also clear that when one member of this church sins, it's like we're all sinning. You're taking us down with you. I mean, how many of us are just embarrassed of people who call themselves Christians? Not because they don't sing loud. Not because they can't scream Jesus. But because of the way they live. And certain times people go, oh, hey, yeah, I'm a Christian. And you're thinking, oh, don't say that. Because I call myself the same thing. And everyone in the office is going to look at you and think that that's what Christianity is all about. And it's just, it just isn't. And I'm not talking about perfection here, okay? None of us are perfect. I'm talking about this striving, this desire, this mentality that Paul's talking about. Do you understand how disgusting this is? You see, there's something that you ruin, not just for yourself, but for all of us when you commit this sin. See, there's there's a couple of things we want to do in this room. And not just in this room, but in our neighborhoods. And as a church body, I should say. We want to make Jesus look good, right? Aren't we here for that? Aren't we here to try to be ambassadors like we talked about last week? To represent him well? And that's why I said, you know, let's love each other. Let's care for one another. I mean, aren't, aren't we all pretty ashamed when a public figure, you know, who's a leader in the church sins in a major way and hides it for years and suddenly everyone in the world sees it? And just makes a mockery of the church again, right? And it hurts all of us, doesn't it? Because then when you share with someone, they go, well, that guy was a Christian leader. They go, I know, but how do I explain it, right? And there's no words. Yeah, you know what? 
He screwed up. It, it made us look bad. There's nothing you can say. And the same is true of our own lives. That there are times we sin and we make the body of Christ look bad. And I apologize for times I've, I've lost my temper. Times I, I said things like, oh man, I, I'm going to make... It's, it's, it's not so much cornerstone, but the body of Christ look bad. I've prayed. You guys, let me just say something. Let me just stop here for a second and make sure you understand something. If you think that I personally, Francis Chan, does not have to fight with every fiber of my being to maintain my personal purity, you are so off. Do you think as a junior high student or a high school student that those temptations were different for me? Or maybe it was when I was in college and I decided to become a pastor. Does that, that suddenly all those desires go away when you make a decision to go into ministry? Or are you still a man? I mean, the reality is, is this is not something that I go up here and go, ah, oh, I got this one figured out. I'm saying, man, do you know how much of a fight this is and the commitments that my wife and I have made and said, look, I'm not going to go down like this. And therefore, I'm going to set up these parameters in my life. You guys know I travel every week. Did you know I never travel alone? Because I am never going to put myself in a situation where I can bring shame to the name of Jesus Christ that way. So every time I go, I'll bring a family member. I'll bring someone from the church. I'll bring one of the staff with me. Because we just decided seven, eight years ago, it's going to cost more, but... Wherever I go, I'm, I'm going to fly with someone because I don't want to be in a hotel room by myself and let anything. It's, it's a fight. There are things we guard against. You know, inter, inter, Internet, you know what? You got access to every site I go to. We don't have cable television. You know, I, I got to, because you know what? I could fall as quickly as anyone else. This is the real thing. And I take seriously, you know what? I've had my failures. I went through those periods, you know, early on in my Christian walk where it's like, wow, I'm bringing some shame to his name. And you know what? I No more of this. And I've prayed. I prayed several years ago. God, would you strike me dead, please, before I do something like that? Because that's not the legacy I want to leave behind for my kids or for your church, especially now. I go, man, the stakes are high. I go down and I make a mockery of your name. Please, by your grace, give me the strength to resist these temptations. But if it looks like I'm going to head down that path, take my life. Because I'm, I'm a leader of the church. And I, 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 the stakes are too high, Lord. So I, I just want to stop and let you know that I'm not throwing these things out you and say, you, 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 you. I'm going, dude, this is a fight. This is the way Satan's going to take many of us down. And it dishonors him, dishonors his name. And we're trying to create services that bring glory to his name, right? I mean, see, <clears throat> believe it or not, your feelings are not my first priority, okay, on a Sunday morning. Um, <laughs> I think you kind of noticed that even today. Um, my first priority from day one, remember, None of you remember. Maybe there's four or five of you that remember. Day one, I said, look, these services are not for you. There's a God in heaven. And when I'm done with service, the, 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 a successful service does not mean that everyone walks away going, ooh, that was good. A successful service means God goes away going, ooh, that was good. There's something about pleasing him that is my priority. 
And that's what I felt when I was in Uganda. It was like this sense of, are you going to defend me? Or are you just concerned about this party down here? See, I, we, we want to create a service where God goes, that was good. God doesn't look at a bunch of people that sing loudly and deny him by their lifestyles and go, ooh, that was good. I was pleased with that. Because if it's true what he says here in his word, that he says he considers that rape, then think about how disgusting it is to rape someone and then show up to her birthday party and sing happy birthday as though nothing happened. That's pretty repulsive, isn't it? And it's no different from being in a sexual union and then coming to church and screaming Hosanna. Beautiful Jesus. Beautiful Savior. You think he's listening to those words? Oh, thank you. After what you just did to him? Don't rape him and then sing to him. That's just sick. And no one wants to hear that. But, but like I said, I, I'm thinking about I get defensive of God and his desires and his wants. Man, it was so hard. I tell you, I, I was on that field and, you know, everyone's so fired up. Everyone's screaming and I'm thinking, God, I'm going to kill the party. You're asking me to kill the party because you're not happy. That's not what you want. And, and after doing it there, he <laughs> It's just, again, the Lord saying, well, that's great. You can do it with all these strangers. Can you go to your own church and do the same thing? And then I got to pick the worst Sunday of the year. Um, <laughs> not only is it Father's Day, but this is the day we we're supposed to give to the building fund. And uh, yeah, let's go, you know. Tierra Hada, we're going to reach thousands. Not with that kind of preaching. <laughs> and again, it's like, okay, Lord, you know, what is the priority here? What am I really about? Because what does he say in that next verse, verse, uh, verse 20? He says, you were bought at a price. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. Okay, Jesus says your body doesn't belong. See, that, that, that means these lips, these vocal cords you're hearing from. It's not, I don't have the right to just say whatever I want to say with these lips because they're not mine. I, I gave, I, when I, you know, when we use these phrases in the Christian world, I gave my life to Jesus. I died to myself. I gave him. I, you know, I was bought at a price. I, I, right before he says, you're not your own. And we would say these things. Yeah, Jesus purchased me. Well, if he purchased you, doesn't he own you then? So if he purchased you, if he owns me, then he owns my lips. He owns my eyes. And I'm looking at this passage and it's not like, hey, look, you guys, I haven't committed adultery. I haven't slept with anyone except my wife. You know, on and on, proud about that. No, because I, then I go, wait. So these are his eyes and what I see and what I stare at with these eyes. I got to be careful. These are the eyes of Jesus. This is the mind of Jesus Christ. So the thoughts that go through this head, everything has to be his. And even right now with my speech, these lips, 
lips. These are Jesus' lips. I gave them to him. I'm not taking them back and saying, well, let me borrow them because I, I got to say something to this guy and then I'll give them right back. You know? No, it belongs to him. There's no separation between Jesus and I. I am one in body and spirit with him. That's an amazing honor to be one in spirit and body with Jesus Christ. So that means every bit of this body belongs to God. I gave it over to him. And so with my lips now, I say what God wants me to say. With my eyes, I stare at and I look at what God wants me to look at. With my mind, I need to say, you know what, this is your mind, so let me think your thoughts. That's why there's certain things I won't see. Certain movies I don't want to watch. I just got to, because this is his body, it's, it's all his. And I'm representing him, I'm an extension of him, and I can't break away from that, and I don't want to. Sure, in the flesh, do I want to at times, of course. But Jesus, it just doesn't happen. We're one now. We became one. That's an amazing truth. That's an honor. I'm one with Jesus Christ, and everywhere I go, he's with me. He will never leave me or forsake me. He's in me. The Holy Spirit doesn't come for a little while, then leave for a bit, come back a little later when things are done. No, he says, no, I'm one with you. My spirit's in you, and you're an extension of my body. So honor me with this body because it's mine anyways. When he says to flee immorality, after I spoke, a bunch of students wanted to speak to me there in Uganda and this one gal comes up to me. She goes, I I live exactly like you're talking about. She goes, but what do I do? She goes, I can't just leave him. I said, why not? She goes, I love this man too much. I can't just stop this relationship with him. And I go, are you serious? I go, but, 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 I go, but you could walk away from Jesus? Oh, because here's the choice. Here you are. Here's this guy. And here's Jesus Christ. You got to go one direction or the other. And if you say you can't leave this guy, well, guess who you're walking away from? You've got to make a choice. You, you flee. You, you run. You go, you know what? I, because we always say, well, I, I, can't just, I can't just leave. I can't just get out of this. Real. Why not? You have to. You've got to make a choice. You can't have both. You, you, you know, when I, when I met my, my wife, when I met Lisa, you know, I was dating someone else. And I didn't say to her, well, I can't just leave her. That doesn't make any sense. Sure you can. I did. It's over. No phone calls, no nothing. No, what, it's, it's just done. Because I found someone else. In the same way, in our relationship with God, that's the decision you make. Jesus, he makes it strong. He goes, look, your father, your mother, your wife, you put the whole world over there. But I'm a treasure. You want to be one with me in spirit and body? You can have me. But you got to flee immorality. you got to turn. you got to repent and be baptized. And you'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. My spirit will come into you. We'll be one forever. It's a choice. Listen, I, I'm not going to go around spying on you, okay? I'd like to. 
Um, because in my passion for purity of the church, and I, I, I guess I'm asking you, because I hear rumors, I hear about different people, I hear about things that go on in the church. I go, really, really, really? And I can't go around and the elders don't have time to go around and try to figure out who's sleeping with who, who's cheating on who, who's leaving who. I, I guess I'm asking you to be convicted yourself and either walk away from your sin or walk away from the church. Please. Because you're hurting us. It's not just yourself. Not only are you sinning against yourself and destroying your relationship with God, but you're destroying a body. And so I'm asking you, please, not to come and damage the church that way. I mean, obviously, I'd rather you turn from your sin and be a part of us. But if you can't do that, if you say, well, I I just can't do that, well, then, please, I'm asking you. I, I, you guys go, man, you know, you, you, you preach like that and people are going to stop coming. That's the plan. <laughs> no, really, I, I, I mean, look at the way Jesus preached. Isn't that how he taught? He'd go to the sinners. He'd go to the woman at the well and say, man, everyone's rejecting you, but I'll take you. But go and sin no more. Walk away from that junk. I'll forgive you. I'll be the first to forgive you. But go and sin no more. It's. I I prayed about it this morning in in my office. I said, Lord, you know. I'm. um, I really want to present to you a bride that's pure at the end of my life. Because that's what you asked for, this holy, blameless, this pure bride. And so I want to take a bunch of us who are messed up, right? We're all in our sin, but we're all on a journey together, right? Of sanctification, become more and more pure. And I want to take that and continue in this process. I want to get more and more pure. I want you to confront me on issues in my life and question me on things. And I, I, I want us to achieve this, this purity that God wants us to have. And so if you're in that process, you're moving toward that, man, come with us. I'm talking about the person who just... You, you want both worlds. And you're not going to let go of the other world. And I prayed, Lord, prune us. And I just thought, I, I just, I'm praying and I'm thinking about this whole ordeal of Father's Day, the building fund, everything else. And I'm going, God, this is so backwards. What you're asking me to do. All around the world, people are begging people to come to their churches and I'm begging them to leave? Like... <laughs> And yet that is, that's, I, I do want this purity. And if we got to go down to three services, two services, one service, go back to the NPR. It's just, I want Jesus again to just look down and not see a bunch of filth and people that live lives that are opposite of the way they sing on Sunday morning. I don't want you screaming Hosanna if your life screams crucify him. At the same time, having said all this, there's complete forgiveness. And this is so fascinating to me. Because as repulsive as that sin is in the sight of God, 
more amazing is the complete forgiveness you could have in a second. It's fascinating. It's, it's, it bore, it's borderline unbelievable, right? When you go just like that, so even if I've been in that disgusting union in God's eyes for all these years, all those times over and over again in, a, in an instant, it can just be gone. Yeah, that's what the Word of God says. That's what uh, Psalm 103 Psalm 103, verse 12, throw it on the screen. Psalm 103 says this. It says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. You get that? As far as the east. He didn't say the north and the south because there's a north pole, isn't there? And there's a south pole and there's an ending spot for the north and the south. But how far does the east go? How far does the west go? And he goes, you know what, I, I want you to know there's no boundaries to my forgiveness. Like, like you, you really, if you believe in the cross, that's the beauty of the cross. It's like Jesus paid for it on that cross. And, and we always want to think, well, but my sin is so bad that there's probably still some of it i got to make up for. And Jesus goes, no, I want you to know there's no boundaries as far as the east is from the west. That's how far away your sin is from me. It, it's, it's, it's gone. It's completely gone. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18 Throw that on the screen. Isaiah 118, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. He says, was your sin disgusting in my eyes? Yeah, it's like this blood-stained shirt. It's It's just scarlet. It's just deep. It's just awful. He goes, but you know what? I'm going to make it as white as snow. I'm not going to make it light pink. I'm not going to fade it out a little bit. I'm going to remove it as far as the east is from the west. I'm going to make it as white as snow. It's going to be like wool. And just for you guys to understand, absolutely the sin was that awful. But God's forgiveness is that much greater. And that's God's desire. I, I mean, I, I, when I think about this message, it's not that I'm trying to come down on anyone. It's, it's actually out of love. Man, you know how good it is to just be at peace, to not feel dirty, and just know that you've confessed and you've walked away? You guys know the feeling. Because you know what it's like to not have peace, right? When you come and sing songs, but you know what you've done all week, and you know that there's still a part of you that hasn't let go of that, and you're probably going to go back to it this week. It's just this sick feeling in your life. Man, I, I, I believe a strong message is needed because there's so many strong messages out in the world that will tell you, well, if you're in love, it's okay. As long as you're, you know, neither one's married, it's okay. And, you know, on and on and on, telling you how beautiful it is. And I just... Know that God wanted me to make sure the world knows, at least the church knows, there's nothing beautiful about it. If you're not married to this person, Jesus Christ does not want to be in union with this person, and you're forcing him into that. But even if you've done that, he'll forgive you. But you've got to flee. Run from it. Make a choice. I am going to have the worship team come back up and... Um, I do want to, I don't want us to leave here 
well, you know what? I said what I need to say. You know, the sin is awful and the forgiveness is even better. And uh, you just got to make a choice. And at the end of the day, these are not my words. I mean, you show me if this did not come out of the word of God. Show me those passages and show me what they really mean if they don't mean what I just said they meant. The forgiveness is really that great. The sin really is that horrible. And that's all there is to it. And I, I just, I, again, I'm looking out for myself, to be honest with you, because I want to come up at the end of my life, stand before God, and say, look, here's the bride I brought before you. Here's my portion of the bride that I was over with. Yeah, maybe other people aren't. But, but you know what? I, if they went on in their way, it wasn't because I didn't make it clear to them. I want to stand before God today and say, God, I made it clear. You hate it. You hate it. You hate it. It's disgusting. It's forcing you into this union you want nothing of. And my prayer is that some of you would come out of that sin and experience the freedom and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And um, maybe during this worship time you don't sing because you realize, well, I'm not going to sing happy birthday now after what I did. And maybe you need some time to say sorry first. To confess and to tell God, give me the power to walk away. And then can you sing? Absolutely. Remember the guy that nailed Jesus to the cross? It says in scripture that he went away praising God that same day. Because he understood how, how his forgiveness was complete. The thief on the cross could rejoice because he recognized, wow, just like that today, I'll be with him in paradise. Satan would love for you to stay in your shame and stay in your sin. God wants you to confess it. You know, it's like your kids, right? He's talking about this, let's bring it back to Father's Day. You want your kids to stay in the shame or you want them just to repent, turn away from it and run back in your arms? That's your Father in heaven. He wants you back. He wants you back in his arms. Let's worship him. If you need some prayer, if you want to get baptized today, there'll be some of us by the prayer room.